the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. The measure of a church is based on its spiritual maturity. So the real question we should be asking is how do you measure the maturity of a local church? And the answer is given to us in Ephesians 4. So I'd like you to turn there. Ephesians 4. And I want to read to you starting at verse 11. And we'll just stop at verse 13. Although the thought continues, we won't deal with verses beyond this more than tonight. Just these verses. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, as you'll recall from our previous studies, these verses really have to do with the unity that all believers have in Christ. It really begins back in verses 1 through 3, but let me just read to you verse 3. Paul said, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Welcome to Verse by Verse, where we feature the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're continuing with our series titled Unity and Spiritual Growth. While we probably have a good idea what spiritual growth looks like in our own life, what does spiritual growth look like for a church, a body of Christ followers? Or for that matter, what does it mean to build up the body of Christ? The Apostle Paul does address that in Ephesians chapter 4, and Pastor Steve is going to tackle that subject in today's verse-by-verse program. So let's jump into today's program and learn more from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. It is very common for me when I run into Christians, those I know outside of Lakeside, especially those I haven't seen for a while, it's very common for them to ask me this question. They'll say something like, so how are things going at the church? And I usually just answer them generally by saying, fine, things are good, very encouraging. But sometimes they follow up with a second question. They want to know how many are attending the church or how many members do you have now? Or if they're Baptists, they'll say, how many are you running? I suspect that they asked this question about the size of our church because in the thinking of many size and numerical growth and membership, well, those are just the ways that you measure a church. 
measure the strength of the church. The bigger the church, the thinking is the healthier and stronger the church must be. Really, it must be the larger, the more blessings of God upon the church. But it's interesting to note that the Word of God doesn't say this. The Bible never uses size, whether large or small, as the way to measure the well-being or the blessings of God on a local church. In fact, we aren't even told the size of many of the churches that are mentioned in the New Testament. For example, we do know that the church at Jerusalem was large only because we read in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 were added in one day. And then the next few chapters in the book of Acts also speaks about thousands being added to the church at Jerusalem. But there is no mention of the size of any of the other churches that Paul wrote to. Romans, we don't know anything about how large the church was. Ephesus, the church at Colossae, Corinth, Philippi, Thessalonica, the churches in the region of Galatia, the churches on the island of Crete that Titus was left in charge of. We don't know if they had several hundred in attendance, several thousand in attendance, or maybe there was just 10 to 20 people there, just a handful of people in attendance. You know what? It's not important. It's not important to know how many members were in these churches because the measure of a church is not based on its size. But note this. The measure of a church is based on its spiritual maturity. So the real question we should be asking is how do you measure the maturity of a local church? And the answer is given to us in Ephesians 4. So I'd like you to turn there. Ephesians 4. And I want to read to you starting at verse 11. And we'll just stop at verse 13. Although the thought continues, we won't deal with verses beyond this more than tonight. Just these verses. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, as you'll recall from our previous studies, these verses really have to do with the unity that all believers have in Christ. It really begins back in verses 1 through 3, but let me just read to you verse 3. Paul said, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul's point is that we are to live, and he says that leading up to this, we are to live in such a way with humility and love and gentleness that reflects that we are one body, that there is a unity of believers, one body, one family. And prior to this, Paul spoke about the attitudes necessary to reflect that. But here in verse 3, he says, why? Because we are really, there is a unity of the Spirit, and our job is to preserve it. You preserve it with the right attitude. So we are to live in such a way that reflects that we are one body. But unity does not mean uniformity, so that we are all alike without any distinction, without any diversity. God has made each of us with a unique personality, and he has gifted us with gifts for which to serve him. Unique gifts. No one is gifted exactly the same. No one is gifted with the same measure that Christ gives to us. And so in verse 7, we read this, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. These are spiritual gifts that Jesus Christ gives every single 
believer. They're given in varying measures, he says. And they're given to help us to minister effectively. We have been given a God-given ability to serve him and minister. Paul will expand on that in 1 Corinthians 12 and then in Romans chapter 12. But here he simply states that we have been gifted. And to help us grow spiritually so that we will use these gifts effectively as maturing believers, Christ has graciously also given to us, given to his church, spiritual leaders to teach us the word of God. He has gifted these leaders with the gift of teaching so that they teach the body of Christ and various local assemblies. And in doing so, they help us to grow so that we're not like the Corinthians who were very immature and very self-focused, though they had all these gifts, but they didn't use them properly. So notice when he says in verse 11, he's given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. That's where this fits in. These are the men who have been gifted to proclaim the word of God, and they are also Christ's gift to his church. And they have been given, Paul says in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, the saints are believers, for the work of service that the believers do, to the building up of the body of Christ that the believers do as well as the leaders. That's what these verses are about. These are the spiritual leaders who have been given to equip the saints. And to equip the saints essentially means to help them grow, to help them be useful, to help them to mature so that they will use their gifts properly to build up, or as Paul puts it, edify the body of Christ. Now, that's what we've seen up to this point. But I want you to notice, starting with verse 13, our study tonight, Paul begins to explain exactly what he means about building up the body of Christ. not talking about numerical growth. That happens in churches, but that's not his point. And in doing so, what the apostle does is he gives us the goals to which all churches, all Bible-believing churches, by God's grace, should aim for. In other words, Paul tells us what a mature, healthy church is looks like. Not a perfect church, but what a healthy church looks like. He tells us how to measure spiritual maturity in a church. He tells us what the spiritual goals for a church are. He, in essence, tells us what we should be targeting, what should we be aiming for, what are the marks of a healthy church. And folks, it has nothing to do with size, has nothing to do with budgets, it has nothing to do with financial prosperity. What we're going to see tonight are the spiritual goals, at least some of them, for which we are to aim as we see three marks of a mature church. The first mark being this. A mature church is unified in the faith. It's united in the faith. Verse 13 begins, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And Paul says that the goal of a local church, the thing that every church should aim for, should be their target, is to attain to the unity of the faith. Now, how are we to understand Paul's words about unity? Because if you look back at verse 3, he said that we already have unity. We are to preserve the unity that we already have. And then in verses 4 through 6, he stressed the unity that we have by stating what we believe the content of our faith is based on oneness. It's based on unity. Notice, if you look at Verse 4, he says, there's one body, one spirit, just as also 
You were called in one hope of your calling. Notice all the ones. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. So, question is, if we already have this unity, and we do, then why does Paul now say that we are to move towards attaining, means arriving at the unity of the faith? Well, first of all, we need to understand, let's back up, we need to understand that the expression, the faith, isn't a reference to our personal belief in Christ. Yes, when we came to faith in him, we placed our faith in Christ. That's our personal faith, but that's not what Paul is referring to here. By the faith, when you have a definite article, it means Christian doctrine. It means the doctrines of Christianity. It means, in other words, the content of our faith. It's the same thought that Jude gives in verse 3 of his letter when he says, we are to contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. The body of truth. Second, we need to understand that though there is a unity of faith that already exists, and its present reality is true in the life of every Christian, it doesn't stop there. Let me explain. This is the unity of faith that Paul is referring to in the earlier verses. There is one faith that he's referring to when he says, if you look at verse 5, he says, one Lord, one faith. What is he talking about? That is the faith of the gospel. That's essentially justification by faith. That's what we would call the plan of salvation. It's the gospel message and the various truths that make up that gospel message. Listen, every Christian agrees with these truths. If they don't agree with this, they're not Christians. What am I talking about? Well, truths such as the sinfulness of man. That's part of the gospel message. You can't be saved without knowing about man's sin. It's the truth of the holiness of God and justice of God that God must punish sin. You couldn't be saved without knowing that because why would you come to Christ and be saved from your sin if you don't know that God punishes sin? The gospel message includes the doctrine of the deity of Christ. It includes the doctrine of the humanity of Christ. He's both man and God. The gospel message includes the sacrificial atonement of Christ, what he did on the cross, and the basis of justification, which is that we are saved by grace through faith. All of that makes up the gospel. That's the one faith that Paul is referring to, what he referred to back in verse 5. That is the unity of the faith that we already have. Listen, all Christians agree on this. All. Because no one can be saved without a basic understanding of the gospel. So this one faith already exists. It's nothing that we need to aim for because it's already a reality. But when Paul speaks about attaining to the unity of the faith in verse 13, he's talking about, note this, growth in understanding the content of our faith. So that as one Bible teacher put it, it's an experiential development of this faith as believers increase in spiritual capacity. What you knew when you were first born again is a lot less than you know now. You've grown in your understanding of the faith. That stuff was basic and we love it, but we move on from there. What Paul is saying is that one of the marks of a mature church is that the church has an in-depth understanding of the doctrines of the gospel. And there is an essential unity and agreement on those doctrines. The church doesn't simply have a superficial understanding of doctrine. They have a growing understanding, a meaningful understanding, an in-depth understanding of doctrine. In other words, a mature church is committed to doctrinal clarity. That's so important to understand. 
They know what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ and the doctrines that make up the gospel. And they believe these doctrines and they agree on these doctrines. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the mark of a mature church. This is why a church that abandons doctrine for superficial, shallow, feel-good teaching is just absolutely wrong and off track. And while it may attract many people, it doesn't produce spiritual maturity in those people who are attracted to that. Churches that emphasize doctrine around which the church gathers and agrees and lives by, those are churches that are on the road to spiritual maturity. That's exactly the point that Paul is making. A maturing church is a church that knows what it believes. Listen, that's why we teach doctrine here. That's why we don't settle for just shallow messages and your Sunday school classes. There's doctrines taught. And on Wednesday night in the Acts classes, there's doctrine taught. We want you to know what the truth is and agree with all of your heart with those truths. Churches that are mature don't have divisions over doctrine. They're not having conflicts in that area. Everyone is pretty much on the same page. So what's one mark of a healthy, maturing church? There is a unity of doctrinal belief. There is a clarity. The church knows what it believes, and it believes the truth. There's a second mark of a mature church. In addition to being united on doctrine, a church that is mature is a church that is knowledgeable about Jesus Christ. They know about Christ, the Son of God. Notice Paul goes on in verse 13 to say, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now let me say what he's talking about is on the road to maturity. There's levels of maturity. In this world, we don't fully attain to understanding everything about doctrine, nor do we fully attain to understanding, having perfect knowledge of the Son of God. But we're moving towards that. And the closer you get to that, the more mature you are. Every Christian has some knowledge about Jesus Christ, right? Otherwise, they couldn't and wouldn't be a Christian. So it's obvious that Paul isn't referring in verse 13 to saving knowledge of Christ, but rather he's talking about something that's deeper, something that goes beneath and beyond salvation. He's referring to knowing Christ in a personal and intimate way, not simply knowing about him, but knowing him. It's the knowledge of Christ that Paul said He longed for, in Philippians 3.10, he said, Oh, that I may know Christ. Not that I may know about him. Not that I may just know him as doctrine, but that I may know him. Notice what Paul put together in Philippians 3 about knowing Christ. Remember, Paul is saved out of a Pharisaical background. He was a Pharisee, had a lot of knowledge. He had a lot of self-righteousness in coming to Christ. He gave all of that up, everything that he thought was great in making him look good. He gave it all up. He saw it was rubbish. It's nothing. He speaks about that in Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Everything that made me look good, everything that built up my confidence in myself. A Hebrew of Hebrews, born of the right tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, someone advancing in Judaism. He said, I gave it up. It's loss. It's nothing for the sake of Christ. More than that, he said, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value. Notice that, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ 
Paul said he suffered the loss of all things. He counts it but rubbish. And he's speaking of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, not knowing about him, knowing him. Verse 9, why is it so much better and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul tells us that he longed to know Jesus better than he did. This is the apostle Paul telling us this. And that same intimacy that Paul wanted, that's what every believer should long for. That's what every church should strive for. But understand this, in Ephesians 4, Paul isn't talking merely about individual Christians growing in their knowledge of Christ, getting to know him better. He's talking about local churches. Local churches made up of individuals, but the church as a whole attaining and striving for a deeper knowledge of Jesus. Folks, that speaks volumes to us because it tells us that a mature church is a church that teaches its people about Jesus Christ the person of Christ, the work of Christ, and does it in a non-superficial way. It's a church that's centered on Jesus Christ. It's a church that's growing in the knowledge of Christ because they're being taught about him. What would they be taught about? Well, they'd be taught messianic prophecy. They'd be taught about Christ's character, certainly his deity, his humanity, his attributes, the work that he accomplished on the cross and other works, His future return, prophecy is all a part of that. What he'll do in the millennial kingdom, his judgments, and so forth. And the more a church is taught about Christ, the more a church knows about him, the more they will grow in him, and the greater will be their capacity to know him better in a more full and intimate way. The church is all about Jesus. That's the bottom line. It's about him. He's the head of the church. He's our Savior. He's our friend. He's our elder brother. He's our Lord. He's our God. Now, we understand that getting to know Christ, we understand that it is a lifelong process. And that in this lifetime, we will never be perfect in our knowledge of Him until we see Him face to face. We know that. But our goal as individuals and as a local church is to know Him as well as we possibly can. And that knowledge of him only comes as we spend time in his word, time in prayer, fellowshipping with him. You see, a mature church doesn't simply have head knowledge about Christ. It knows him in an intimate and personal way. He's real to them because it focuses on him. It is a Christ-centered church. So a mature church, Paul tells us, is a church that is united in the faith It's a church that's growing in their knowledge of the Son of God. But there's a third mark of a mature church that Paul speaks about in verse 13, and that is a church that is mature is a church made up of Christ-like Christians. It's kind of redundant to say that. Christ-like Christians. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to, notice this, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now what Paul means when he speaks of a mature man and then he says the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ is simply in one word Christ-likeness. 
It's to be like Christ. In other words, the mark of a church that is mature is that the congregation reflects Jesus Christ in their behavior. They don't just know about him. They know him, but they live him. They live him. Now, we know that every Christian will someday be like Christ. That's what scripture says. Without any flaws, without any sins. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that is when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So we're going to be like Jesus Christ. Every believer is someday going to be perfectly sanctified. We're not going to be Christ. Only Christ is Christ. But we're going to be like him in terms of our character. According to what we learned today on our verse-by-verse program, a mature church is a church that is united in the faith. It's a church that's growing in their knowledge of the Son of God. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, has been teaching us out of Ephesians chapter 4. And just as we were ending today's program, Pastor Steve gave us a third mark of a mature church. It is made up of Christ-like people. A mature church is filled with people who reflect Jesus Christ in their behavior. They not only know Him, but they live Him. Well, Pastor Steve has more to teach us on that topic, but you'll have to wait until our next verse-by-verse program. Oh, say, if you're interested in getting the verse-by-verse podcast, let me encourage you to head over to versebyverseradio.org and then click the podcast link. It's on the right-hand side of the page. Then you can listen to the teaching of Pastor Steve whenever it is convenient for you. On that note, I hope it will be convenient for you to join us on the next Verse by Verse program when we continue learning about unity and spiritual growth. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.